So this is uh, just my second time speaking in front of you guys, and I just want to say it's a real privilege again to be able to do this. Can everyone hear me? OK, cool. All right. Sometimes my, my voice doesn't project as well as I want it to. I'm, I'm fighting a, probably a, what, what is this, a uh, upper respiratory infection right now. So just bear with me in that. Give me some grace tonight. <laughs> all right. So all right. Tonight we're taking a little bit of a break from Fruits of the Spirit. I know. Oh, no. Uh-oh. We're going to be talking about idolatry. Not adultery. Idolatry. An idol. Um, all right. So tonight, there are going to be two main themes that I want you to walk away with. And so the first is this, that Scripture, and this passage in particular, is a reflection of ourselves. And Scripture in general can be a mirror that we can use to see ourselves in our broken reflections. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is that it also shows the surpassing beauty of God, which is the only way to move past our broken reflections. All right? Tonight we're looking particularly at the idolatry of romance, and an idol is anything we put in the position that only God deserves. So we're going to read Genesis 29, 16 through 35, but we're just reading 16 through 30 to start. Um, and I want you to think about how you see your reflection in this passage. It might be kind of hard, so just bear with me and, and hang in there. Uh, so we're going to start in 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for, them, for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Laban gave his female servant, Zalpha, I, I'm saying that wrong, to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will also give you the other, in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Balaha, I can't say that either, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban another seven years. All right, so that's a lot. Um, but you, you really just need to know four names tonight, and we're going to focus on, on four people. And that's Jacob, Leah, Rachel, and Laban. All right, Jacob, Leah, Rachel, and Laban. So what's happening in this story? This can be kind of hard for us to track, especially because it's written to a very ancient Eastern culture. Um, and what's happening here is Jacob is coming to terms with Laban, who is the father of Rachel and Leah, uh, with how he's going to be paid for working on Laban's farm, right? And they come to the agreement, which is very strange to us, that he's going to work seven years to be able to marry Rachel. And, and that is weird to our ears, and it, and it should be. Um, 
But just to quickly summarize, that's what's happening in the story. And that's what the agreement is, seven years for Rachel. And then Laban deceives Jacob and works um, and gives him Leah, tricks him into marrying Leah. And then he works another seven years. He receives Rachel and then works another seven years. Is this, is this making sense? Some head nods? Okay, okay. All right. Um, so I did what anyone else would do when coming to a confusing passage. I asked ChatGPT, an AI chatbot, <laughs> to write a sermon on this portion of Genesis. And uh, the themes it picked up, for, does everyone know what ChatGPT is? Oh, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. So, okay, okay, ChatGPT is an AI chatbot. And so the way it works is you ask it a question, and it like, gives a really long, good answer usually for whatever that question is. It's great. So it works from a database, which so it learns from what other people are doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. OK. So I asked it to write a sermon, and <laughs> particularly on this passage, on this section. And the, the themes it picked up on were love, commitment, and patience. And the hero of this story was Jacob. And y'all, I've got some job security, because that AI was way wrong. <laughs> like, it was way wrong. Um, the main figures of this are Leah and Jacob. ChatGPT didn't mention Leah once. And it's working off of people's past sermons, right? It doesn't mention Leah once. And, and so Jacob and Leah parallel each other really well, and they are foils. But God, however, is the main character of this whole story, and we'll, we'll get to him later. Um, but I want to approach it from, from this perspective. We're going to... For our time together, we're going to focus first on Leah's, Leah's experience, and then we're going to talk about Jacob's problem and the solution Jacob has to his problem, and then we're going to talk about Leah's solution as well. All right, so let's approach this from Leah's perspective. What do we know about Leah? We know she has weak eyes. What does that mean? Um, the fact that she has weak eyes could literally mean she's cross-eyed, or it could just mean she's not as beautiful as Rachel. The Hebrew is a little bit ambiguous there. Um, but the, the other thing we know is she's the oldest daughter, and that the oldest daughter in her culture was supposed to be married first. So if the story was told from her perspective, it would go something like this. A man comes from a foreign land who you could potentially marry, but he decides to work many years for your younger sister. That's insulting to you. But when your dad agrees to the proposal, it's even more insulting. Right? And so Leah's been insulted twice by two men. And if you're Leah, you feel like you've been pushed to the side, passed over, forgotten, and shamed. And Leah traditionally has been passed over in this story. When I was trying to think of an analogy, the only one that could come to me was Cinderella. You see, Leah is simultaneously the ugly stepsisters and the forgotten Cinderella at the very beginning of the story. But that's kind of where the similarities end. And the reason is, is because Cinderella is a pretty unrealistic story. I'm sorry, Disney fans. I'm sorry, Disney fans. But a fairy godmother is not coming to give you a makeover, and a prince is not coming to sweep you off your feet. This story is real, and we know the Bible is real. The men are throwing up their hands. But um, I know the Bible is real because it has stories like this, stories that are not fairy tales. They are very real. Um, and that's, you know, that gives me confidence. Um, yeah, and so let's just continue on with Leah's experience. So Leah's been passed over 
She's unwanted. And, and now our culture might just tell her that she needs to know her worth and that she doesn't need a man. And I would agree with you a bit there, right? I'm all for the power of confidence, but how would confidence actually help Leah in her circumstances as a woman who is in the ancient Near East in a shame and honor culture? How does that actually help her? Leah can't be independent and her life is defined by her relationships. And if you're realistic and honest, you're not all that independent either and your life is defined by relationships and how you relate to others for better or for worse. And it's the unfortunate reality. But let's get back to Leah. I don't really want to be misunderstood here. Leah has been wronged and she is in a hard situation, one I can't even imagine. And to add insult to an already injured Leah, the only way her father can think to marry her off is to trick Jacob. How terrible is that? Your own father. Imagine the feeling of confusion and betrayal from your own dad. In all honesty, I, I can't imagine what it was like for her. Moreover, imagine the shame she experienced waking up next to Jacob, who recoiled at the sight of her after their wedding night. What Laban's done is wicked and evil. But here's my first point. Although most likely none of us have experienced what Leah has gone through, shame and guilt is a problem for all of us. And the type of shame and guilt that, that Leah feels is, is actually quite familiar. Shame, right, and in particular the shame we can feel by being unwanted by the opposite sex, is the most potent, some of the most potent. And this is where we find Leah. See, it might be different for you. It might be failures in school. Maybe it's a failure in your friendships. But whatever it is, uh, this is when we're most susceptible to create idols or, or alternative ways of self-worth, to gain self-worth. Now that we talked about Leah's experience and the shame it caused her, let's examine Jacob's problem. Jacob comes after fleeing for his life because his brother wants to kill him. Whoa. <laughs> He's at rock bottom because he lost everything. Put yourself in Jacob's shoes. The inheritance you were owed was stolen from you, and you're probably numb and bitter. Jacob, in order to distract himself from his problems, sets his heart on work and love. In particular, Jacob's problem is he's empty. And to fill that emptiness, he makes an idol out of Rachel. Rachel is his solution to his problem. The text doesn't explicitly say that Jacob makes Rachel into his idol, but it's implicit in, a multiple, in multiple clues that we have. First is that Jacob seems to barely know her, and the only thing the text puts forward as to why Jacob loves her is the fact that um, she's beautiful. That's really the only detail we have about Rachel in this whole text. But you might say to me, isn't verse 20 romantic? So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Um, and, and on the surface, this is very romantic. But it, it's obsession in a, in a way, and it's an unhealthy obsession. See, it makes me think of The Princess Bride. How many of us have watched that movie? <laughs> oh, that's a lot. Let's go. All right. So there, there's two characters in The Princess Bride. There's, there's Buttercup and Farm Boy. <laughs> what? 
You're a farm boy? Oh, yeah, dude. Okay, my bad. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. All right, no problem, no problem. The Dread Pirate Roberts, that's who you were. Okay, cool. All right, now I remember. Okay, sorry. All right. Oh, where was I? Okay, okay, hold on. So there's two characters, Buttercup and Farm Boy. And the way Buttercup interacts with Farm Boy is she comes up to him, asks him to do something, and he always responds with, as you wish. It's beautiful, right? It's really, it really is beautiful. But here's the thing. Jacob is not like Farm Boy. Jacob is like the prince that goes to Buttercup's father and, and makes her marry him. And that's what's happening here. That's the second way I know that this isn't romance in the way we think about it. The third way I know is that um, how he asked for Rachel is really disrespectful. Commentators that are talking about the Hebrews says this is an unusual way to ask to be married. In verse 21, right? When Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is complete. He is saying to his future father-in-law, give me Rachel so I can have sex. That's what it means to go into her. Jacob wants sex. And the fact, the fact is, he, he doesn't, the fact that he doesn't realize that it's Leah also on the wedding night, or yeah, that he doesn't realize that it's Leah on the wedding night, shows that he doesn't know Rachel at all. He only looks at her beauty. He's in love with the idea of Rachel. And the fourth way I know, and this is the really telling one, is when he's tricked by Laban, he then agrees to work another seven years. He doesn't say no way and leaves. He doesn't end in contentment with Leah. He needs Rachel. He needs Rachel. And that's an addict mentality. And, and that's how I know Rachel is his idol. What is an idol? Tim Keller defines an idol as anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, life would hardly be worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. And this is precisely how Jacob treats Rachel. It's central to his life. It's essential to his life. See, adultery is a lot like addiction. Now, I don't want you to think of substance abuse. I'm thinking there's a difference between physical and behavioral addictions. Addictions help us cope with life and some of the sad realities of life. And they're easy to see in other people, but they're really hard to see in yourself. And we love to justify our own addictions, right? Just one more drink. Maybe it's one more swipe. Or how about one more assignment? Not many of us maybe do that, but some of us might. Some of us might. In life, romance is a particularly enticing narcotic because of how it drowns out fear and inner bareness. What are some examples of this? Men leaving their spouses for younger women. They're trying to distract themselves from the reality of that, that they're aging, right? What's another example? Another example could be uh, of making romance your idol could be looking for perfection in your partner. Placing your hopes and your fulfillment on someone else will either crush you or them under the weight of your expectations. What's a third way? Serial dating. And this might be the most applicable for us tonight, but commitment issues might happen because of the way you see the opposite sex and relate to them. You might see them as a way to feel 
desirable or powerful, or you might see new, new things as a thrill, and then that thrill dies out after a little bit, and so you have to move from one person to the next. That's you finding your worth in that person, and that's an idol. No person, not even the best one, can give you what you need. All right. So far, we've talked about Leah's experience of shame and Jacob's problem of emptiness and how he solves it in his pursuit of Rachel, right? Jacob's solution had major consequences. He gave up 14 years of his life, but above all, Leah was sinned heavily against by him. And Jacob sacrificed his time, but he also unintentionally sacrificed Leah. But now let's pick back up with Leah. She's unwanted. She's been sinned against by her father. She is caught in the crossfire between Laban and Jacob. She's been discarded from one man to another. Where does Leah go? Let's finish out 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. kind of heavy, right? Leah's solution at first is to go back to the one who hurt her to try to earn his love. This, my friends, is heartrending. Jacob is her idol, and she tries to earn his love through having him children. Now, you might have a multitude of different feelings um, at this. You, you might be sad. You might be cringing internally, or you could be confused. Um, you, you could be sad and identify with her pain. You, you could be cringing and just wanting her to do anything else than what she's doing right now. And you could be confused as to, like, what's the point? Why are we talking about this? Um, it's because Leah is actually showing us something very valuable. She shows us the pathway out of idolatry. Leah is ultimately disappointed with Jacob as her idol. There are five things you can do when you come, become disappointed with your idols. You can continue to worship them and try harder. You can blame the idol and switch to a new one. You can blame yourself and beat yourself up about it. Or you can blame the world and become cynical. But the fifth thing you can do is you can turn to the Lord. See, Leah does a combination of one and five. She goes to her idol again and tries harder. And then she, in, in the fourth son, she, she, she turns to the Lord. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I've done all five of these things. I've done all five of these things. And, and I resonate with this story. I didn't go through anything similar or as traumatizing as Leah did, but I can resonate with feeling unwanted and empty. And I resonate with both Jacob and Leah. You see, I moved a lot when I was growing up, and, and the first big move, I felt really alone. And in the eighth grade, I was the new kid that was severely bullied. I actually got swirlied. Um, I felt deeply alone and unwanted. And I'd, I didn't go to God. 
I, I sought my comfort in video games, in lust, and in trying to fit in. I bought trendy clothes. I went home sick a lot trying to avoid people. And some days I just wanted things to end. Uh, things got better after that year, uh, but my idols got worse. And God in his mercy found me in my second move and he's been healing me ever since. Remember what I said earlier at the very beginning, scripture is a mirror. And that was my reflection. But how do you see yourself in Jacob and Leah? Think about that question. How do you see yourself in Jacob and Leah? Remember the other point I made? Where is the surpassing beauty of God? God is seen in verse 31. The Lord saw Leah was hated. See, the Lord sees us. And the Lord saw Leah in her sadness. And when Leah finally turns to Yahweh and her fourth son Judah, there is a sense of assurance and freedom. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. It is a declaration, and within it is Leah turning from Jacob to God. When Leah gives her life to the Lord, she gets her life back from the men who stole it from her. The fourth son, Judah, is eventually going to give us Jesus. Judah is the climax here, and Jesus is the climax of all scripture. There's a famous pastor who, who's called Thomas Chalmers, and he says, the only way to dispossess, dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. What does that mean? Uh, this means to replace your adulterous desire, right? There must be a new, more appealing desire. Jesus and his beauty is the more appealing new desire. Jesus will not disappoint you. Jesus delivers perfectly the love you need. And in Ephesians 5, Paul says Jesus is united to the church. And therefore you, if you believe in him, like a husband is united to his wife. Do you see Jesus as the perfect spouse? Someone united to you? In just a second, we're going to sing, Hast Thou Seen Him, Heard Him, Known Him? It's one of my favorite hymns, and it has one of my favorite verses to envision the beauty of Jesus. It goes like this. Tis the look that melted Peter, tis the face that Stephen saw, tis the heart that wept with Mary, can alone from idols draw. It's very poetic, but this is what it means. We have a Savior whose holiness melts Peter's heart with a look. We have one who comforted Stephen when he was being killed. And we have one who wept with Mary when she was grieving her brother's death. Do you view the Lord this way? So what do we do? Right? Search your hearts for false gods and turn away from them and turn to Jesus who died on the cross for you because he loves you. God loves the unwanted. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who died on a cross. Um, and you died in our place, but even more, you died so you could have a relationship with us. If there's anyone here tonight that does not have that relationship, Lord, I, I would invite them to think and contemplate. And Lord, be in their life that they might have a sense of presence from you. I thank you for how you continue um, just to meet all of us where we're at. Thank you for how you met us on the cross. Let us look to you in all that we do.
It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Sam, that you sing, I've got it, and 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 I've